Morning, everyone. Good to see you. Is this working? Are we there? My name's Andy, one of the leaders here. You're very, very welcome. Um, we've been working through a series on Luke for a long time. I think Jonathan even added up how long. We haven't just, for those of you new to this, we haven't been doing Luke every single week. We've broken off and done other series. But on the whole, the Luke story, uh, which has been wonderful, has kind of featured in our preaching for a, a few years now. I think Jonathan reckoned we might not be far off 100. Well, guess what, everybody? I get to do the last one. Yes! Come on! It is the last one. It's actually quite good to celebrate because what happens in the passage we're going to read, if we can put Luke 24 up, the last few verses, is we are getting to read what is the culmination of why Luke wrote this. So every story, every incident about Jesus from the genealogy, through to his birth, through to all the miracles, all the teaching, all the run-ins with the authority, his death, his resurrection, all comes to this. You need to remember Luke was writing not simply a collection of stories, not simply a factual report of what happened, not some things that mattered to him. He was writing one big story. He was writing one whole book, one whole account of the gospel, the good news. And these last few verses that we're reading is like the conclusion, it's like the pinnacle. Luke does part two, which is the book of Acts, which comes later in our New Testament, where he carries on the story. He begins it like that. He says, the things I began to tell you, I'm going to tell you some more now about Jesus and what happened through the disciples. But this first account, this volume one, this is one story and we're right at the end. So although the party poppers for doing the last preach were kind of a bit of fun, actually it is apt in terms of being a celebration of what Luke wants us to know and wants us to understand. (coughs) What Jonathan took us through last week was the account of Jesus appearing before his disciples and the power of the resurrection and everything that meant. If you didn't hear Jonathan last week, please go online, get that off the website. Oh, have we told you we have a new website? More party poppers. Anyway, (laughs) download it from the website. It was an outstanding teach um, in terms of the power and significance of Jesus' resurrection. Um, And these verses follow straight on. So we're we're breaking right into that account. Jesus is in the room with the disciples. He's appeared to them. He's explained that he is alive, that it is him. He's eaten some fish. um, And they're, they're understanding now he is alive. The body hasn't been stolen. He's not a ghost. It's not a dream. It's Jesus. And then this happens. Verse 44. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. I'll tell you what we'll do. I'm going to pause there. I'm going to teach a bit. Then we'll read the next section. I was going to do it all together, but I'm going to do it in sections, decided. Imagine this. So you're stunned that Jesus is now alive. You thought it was finished. You thought it was over. There'd been stories that morning. He's not in the tomb. We saw him. I thought he was the gardener, Mary would have said. Um, The two people who'd been on the road to Emmaus, Johnny talked about that. They've come back. We've seen Jesus. Then Jesus appears in the room, says, look, you can touch me. It's me. Give me some fish. I'm with you. And then this, he explains everything to them. He takes them through the whole account of the Old Testament and says, all of this was pointing to what you have seen. 
all of these stories, all of these books. I mean, what a Bible study. Imagine sitting with Jesus. And he'd have told stories. He wouldn't have got the scrolls out. They wouldn't have had the book. He wouldn't have opened his iPad and kind of, let's find Genesis and let's go round. He wouldn't have needed to get the scrolls out. He'd have memorized some of this. That's what Jewish people do. That's what rabbis do. He'd have been given account of the stories. The disciples would have known the stories. They'd have grown up on them. But he would have referenced them and said, look, this happened, this happened, this happened. I wonder if in Genesis, he went back right to the beginning, where in Genesis 3, after Adam and Eve have sinned, and the serpent is there, and God talks about, even in Genesis 3, when everything has gone wrong, when right at the beginning, the first people said, thanks God, we'll do it our way. You said, we can't have this? Well, we're going to have it. And they listened to the devil, the serpent, in that story. And God said, you will, bite, you will strike his heel, i.e. Jesus, it's pointing to Jesus. In other words, he will die, but he will crush your head because he will rise again. Death will strike his heel, but he will crush your head. It's a reference to Jesus right at the beginning. What if Jesus said to the disciples, do you remember this bit? That's pointing to me. Later in Genesis, Noah, God beginning again, flooding the world because of sin and unrighteousness, judgment coming. What if Jesus said, do you realize there's no more judgment the story of Noah in the ark, you don't need a boat now, I'm the boat. Everyone who's in me will not face judgment. I wonder if Jesus told them that story. I wonder if Jesus went into Abraham and said, when God called Abraham and said, all peoples will be blessed through you. I'm a descendant of Abraham, the genealogy. All peoples of the world will now be blessed through me. Do you remember the promised one, Isaac coming, the son that Abraham waited ages for, and he was going to sacrifice him because he thought that's what God wanted. And then at the point of sacrifice, he finds a lamb, a ram caught in a thicket, and God says, sacrifice that. That's me. I'm paying the sacrifice now. And then as you get into uh, the story of the Exodus, Jesus is the one who's rescued us from from slavery. Jesus is the one who's the true king, the true rescuer. He's the Passover lamb in the story in the Exodus. Then in Leviticus... All those commands, all those laws. And Jesus says, I fulfilled all of them. No one could fulfill the law. Even the law points to me. All the priests who mediate between us and God. I'm the high priest. You don't need a priest anymore. I'm the priest. I mediate. What a study. Jesus, account after account after account, going through. He says, he goes through the books of Moses and all the prophets. That's our Old Testament. Proverbs, all those sayings, it's wisdom. Jesus is wisdom. It's all pointing to him. King David, the shepherd who became a king. Who's the good shepherd? It's Jesus. He says to his disciples, even David, your greatest king, your moment of Israel's splendor, of being a fantastic kingdom, even David is pointing to me. And when God made a promise to David and said, one will sit on the throne forever and ever, one of your descendants. And Jesus said, even though I'm not wearing a crown, even though I'm not in the palace, even though I've not come with a political kingdom, I am the one descended from David and my kingdom will not stop increasing and growing. And then you get into Isaiah, Emmanuel, the promised child, God with us, unto us a child is born. And Jesus quotes it to them and says, that's me. And then later, Isaiah, 
Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. And Jesus says, look, didn't it say one would be crushed, one would come, the one who he loves, that's me. And the disciples are sitting there and the fire of God is burning in their hearts as everything they've longed for and wanted, all their hope of a Messiah, of the Christ coming. And they're beginning to understand. It's him, it's him, it's him. All our hopes that were dashed, all our disappointment, all our wondering, why is he dead on the cross? We thought he was the one. Why isn't he challenging Caesar? Why isn't he overthrowing Rome? If he's David's descendant, why isn't he? We don't understand. And then now, in this conversation with Jesus, story after story after story, Jesus says, this is me, this is me, this is me, this points to me. God has done it. God has fulfilled what he promised. Even Jonah, in the belly of a fish for three days, Jesus says, I was in the earth for three days, and now I have been raised again. Even the story of Jonah prophetically pointing to Jesus, and then all the prophets, Daniel with his dream of the empires coming and great big fantastic bronze and silver and gold statues representing different empires and then a small rock coming and toppling the statue and that growing to be the greatest kingdom and Jesus says that's me, Daniel's dream points to me, all the prophets, Jeremiah, Amos, they all point to him and then Zechariah even talks about the Messiah, the Christ coming on a donkey into Jerusalem and Jesus a few days before had ridden on a donkey. I'd love to have been there. I've just given you a snippet. I've just rushed through the Old Testament. Sometimes Christians, we're embarrassed about the Old Testament because there's some pretty horrific stories in there. The whole point is it's all pointing to Jesus. Even in the horror, even in the things going wrong, we see a God who rules and a God who reigns and a God who in the mess of wickedness, injustice and evil and headlines like we see today that were going on back then in terms of kingdoms, killing kingdoms, in terms of wars done in the names of gods, in terms of huge migration across the planet. That's not a new thing. It's been going on for centuries and in the middle of all of that, God is sovereign and God works history out in the culmination of the Messiah and the rescuer coming. And the disciples see it and their minds are opened to understand who Jesus is and what God has done. God's in charge. God's in charge of history. It really is his story. It's the benefit of English. It doesn't work in another language. It really is his story. He really is working it out. It really is everything is about Jesus being the rescuer, God stepping into our world. And Luke finishes the few verses we'll come on to, <clears throat> but I want to mention them now, with the ascension, Jesus returning to be in, alongside the Father, ruling and reigning. Whatever's going on in your life at the moment, whatever you're anxious about or worried about, whatever's happening in our nation, Whichever way the EU debate goes, whatever is happening in the Middle East, whatever happens in the American election, and parts of that look a little bit scary if we're honest, and all that's going on in the world, God's in charge. Nothing's going to happen that's going to thwart his purposes. Nothing happens in your life that stops the purposes of God being fulfilled. All things work together for the good of those that love him. In the middle of tragedy, difficulty, pain, disappointment, The disciples tasted that. They knew that. And as they get this prophetic history lesson, they also get to understand God has worked this all out. 
even Caesar being here, all these empires. And yet in the middle of all of this, he sent the rescuer, the Christ, the Messiah. Listen, God's in charge. Not your boss, not your bank manager, not the intimidating person that you're scared to see sometimes because they're so dominating or whoever else it is that you think's in charge. There's only one person in charge. His name's Jesus. He's the king. He rules. He reigns. He made all of this. Then he stepped into all of this at the time that God, his father, had destined to happen to rescue the world. God is in charge. Some of you, please break out in a smile at this point. He's ruling and reigning over your life. Every relationship, everything that happens, everything that you think has been a failure or everything you think has been a challenge or everything you think is something worth celebrating, there's something even greater and it's Jesus and he's worked everything out for his purposes and he still is and he sits down and he opens up story after story accounting for hundreds and thousands of years of history and says all of this had to happen in order for this moment that I would sit in a room with you disciples having beaten death and show that God's rescuing the world and that unrighteousness, injustice and oppression does not win, God wins. That's what Luke wants us to hear. Thank you. As I've said before, we do have to get a bit more Pentecostal, don't we? Goodness me. God is in charge. That's what Luke wants us to know. This isn't just a nice end to the story. This isn't Luke tying up a few loose ends. This is the story. This is the com- This is why he's written everything. What we call chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, and have taken 100 sermons to do over the last two and a half, three years, however long it's been. Luke is telling the story for this point. All of this happened in order that what? Jesus would come. Not to a palace, not with an army, not with thousands of angels along his side as he grew up just there for one night that first what we call Christmas morning glory to God in the highest because they knew what was going on shepherds were stunned wise men got something was happening but didn't understand it (coughs) the disciples were confused he's we know his dad he's a carpenter he's made benches and tables now he's opening the eyes of the blind now he's raising the dead now he's healing the sick now there's five thousand people and he feeds them all who is he he's the Christ and their eyes are opened and their minds understand. That's what's going on. Verse 46, next section. And he said to them, this is written that the Christ, that's the name for the Messiah, for rescuer. Um, as you've heard me say before, that's not Jesus' second name. Like Jesus Smith or Jesus Jones or something. Christ isn't his second name. That's his title. That's who he is, the promised one, the rescuer, the Messiah. This is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Next thing. The fulfillment of the purposes of God is a person. His name's Jesus. It's not a doctrine, it's not statements of belief, it's not a systematic theology, it's not a complex argument, it's not reason, it's a person. It's not an institution, the church, it's not a religion, it's a person. His name's Jesus. That's what Jesus is saying here. All of this was written, that the rescue, his death and resurrection, would be proclaimed to the world 
the rescue, the good news, the gospel is Jesus. It's not the book of Luke or Matthew or Mark or the canon of scripture, although all of those things are incredibly important. And everything they teach us about who God is and the nature of God and who Jesus is and what we call doctrine and theology is phenomenally important, but we only know it because of Jesus. God has made himself known through Jesus. Yeah, we've got a book called The Word of God that points to him and points to and tells us about Jesus, but the disciples lived with him, touched him, ate food with him. It was Jesus who healed the sick. It was Jesus who spent time with the outcasts, the ones who were supposed to be included in the purposes of God, but the religion that it had become excluded them. So Jesus said, well, I won't hang around in the temple too much. And when I do, I'm going to upset tables and things because it makes me cross because you've turned into something else. I'd rather hang around with the excluded. I'd rather hang around with the shamed. I'd rather bring the good news. See, the good news was a person who loved, who wept, who prayed, who fed, who healed, who held, who touched the unclean lepers and they were healed. The good news, the fulfillment of the purposes of God, the rescue plan for the world, the purposes of God being worked out, him overcoming injustice and oppression and all the evil and wickedness in the world is through a person, the perfect man, man in God's image, and his name is Jesus. And it's so, so important for us to understand this. And it's so important that we recover this now in 21st century UK because of how secular we've become as a nation, not everybody, but many are, we are averse to organized religion. People don't like the idea of organized religion because everything that's happened in the world, things like 9-11, abuse uh, in in some of the institutional churches, um, some of the stuff that the media portray that goes on, you know, the church and institutionalized religion's got a bad name. Jesus hasn't, never has, never will. It's only ever been about him. That's the good news. That's what's to be proclaimed. A person. Not the church. Not a religion. Not a statement of beliefs or theology. You don't have to be experts on all of that. You don't have to answer all the tough questions. Some people do and it's phenomenally helpful. People who can reason and argue and work things out. But in the end the testimony is we know Jesus. We know he's alive. We know he's conquered death. That's what he's telling the disciples they're witnesses of. What? A person. Not a theology class. He didn't give them a theology class. He didn't sit them down and say, okay, here's why this is written. Here's why this has all happened. Here's your books. Work through. There's some study notes. There's some application questions. When you've understood that, then we can go to phase two. No, what he said was, you're witnesses of me. This beautiful, amazing, serving, self-sacrificing, love embodied, holiness embodied person whose name is Jesus. <coughs> Listening to someone yesterday uh, who's talking about uh, the state of uh, things, how they are in the West now and how secular we are, um, and they were quoting a more academic person who said these things, commenting about how secular we are now, so religion, if we have to have it, it's private, so we don't want it in the public place. And we can see court cases now, primarily at Christians, interestingly, and not at others, um, about when they bring Christ into the workplace and religion. So we're secular. We're incredibly consumerist in terms of money 
and wealth and products and how they define us. I could, we could talk ages on each of these things. And also there's this huge just distrust of a- organized religion and distrust of institutions as well. That's some of the highlights, I mean it's a brief summary, but of what 21st century UK life is like. Um, and this person went on to say, they <coughs> so it's, a, it's the I world, it's now me-centred and iPod and all of that, um, and it's the I world, so it's all about me. And here are the I world commandments. Thou shalt, not, thou shalt do what you like as long as it doesn't harm anybody. Thou shalt do what you like as long as it is consensual. And thou shalt not judge anyone else's preferences. I think that's quite a good summary, don't you? Of, of kind of some of the laws now that govern our society, the unspoken laws. You can do it you like, but don't harm anyone. And you can do it you like, but as long as it's consensual. Um, and don't judge anyone else's preferences. And that sums up what the world that we're living in. That's why it's so important that our good news is a person. See, Jesus demonstrated that mankind in the image of God is wonderful, is beautiful, is everything that it should be. And what's more, he lived it and demonstrated it. The I world should actually be for the image of God. It's not simply about me. It's about me in God's image. Of course, I am important. But I'm only important together with you because we are made in God's image. Jesus would agree about not harming others. He taught that. But he said the only way you can live like that is through his life. So Jesus would be very happy with that commandment, don't harm others. But it's about how you do that. You can only do that with the life of Jesus. And he's the one who demonstrated that. And it's through his resurrection life that we can live like that. As for things, not, as for things <coughs> being consensual, as for not harming, Jesus took the whole thing to another level. Jesus talked about a love that lays its life down. Oh, Jesus passionately cared about the well-being of other people. But the way you get there isn't simply about being consensual or not consensual or trying to not harm up one another. It's actually with sacrificial love. And that love isn't a love which simply makes me feel better. Real love, love as God intended, most beautiful, powerful love is love that makes you feel better because I lay my life down for you. And you feel valued and treasured no matter what your background is, no matter what you've done, no matter where you're from. That's what Jesus demonstrated. So the I world needs to hear about a Jesus who turns all of that on its head and fulfills the very thing it's longing and thirsty for. That's the gospel, a person, not a statement of beliefs or an institution or even this, although we'll come on to the importance of this in a minute. The good news is a person. Jesus said these things happened in order that this will be talked about everywhere. What's this? It's him and everything that he did. As for not judging others, well that's where this good news can become unpalatable for some. The good news is, is that actually not even God will judge us if we put our faith in Jesus because he's taking judgment for us. <coughs> so repentance is important. Jesus says repentance will be taught. Not just a nice message of love, not just a nice message of you're valuable to God, not just a nice message of God wants to help you but the way into this life, the way into knowing a love that lays its life down is turn from you being at the center and put Jesus at the center. And some won't like that. So no matter how much we talk about Jesus, 
there are many who won't like that. The broken, the hurting, the thirsty, they're desperate for it. They don't always get to see it. They kind of think that if you're going to know Jesus, you've got to do this every week. And you've got to give a part of money. And you've got to follow a load of laws. And if you're really zealous, you can come to a small group. Um, they don't understand what it is. If they could taste, if they could really understand the compassion and mercy and grace of a person called Jesus who came to break the power of oppression of injustice. But not everybody will because they still want to be at the center and they will in the end have to face the judge. And that's why Jesus wants this to be told everywhere because he wants none to perish. Verse 48. You are witnesses of these things and behold, I'm sending the promise of my father upon you but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. So those last two sections, Jesus is saying, the whole world needs to know this. Your witnesses and the whole world, all peoples, this will be proclaimed to all peoples and to all nations. Luke wants us to know who Jesus is, but he also wants us to know who we are. He wants us to know at the end of this story what this new community, this new group of disciples are with Jesus at the center. This becomes the church. Luke wants us to know the importance of us, of this, of what the church is, of this community who gather in the name of Jesus to worship Jesus, to know his presence through the Holy Spirit. He wants, he wants us to know the importance of this. See, this story gets to continue. This isn't the end. This isn't ending with Jesus. That's what's remarkable. Just to play this out, can you imagine the angels kind of getting to know of God's plan, getting to understand if they weren't in on it from the beginning. All right? This isn't in the gospel. Don't try and find it. It's not in the original Greek, Aramaic, or anything else. Okay? This is the gospel according to Andy Martin. And they're kind of watching. So, so Father, God, God, what, what's happening now? Jesus, it doesn't seem to be going well. Pilate is kind of handing him over. And he's on the cross. I thought he was the king. He is the king. Just trust me. But I, 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 he, he's raised the dead. He's opened the eyes of the blind. He could just throw these soldiers off. Why is he walking with them? Just trust me. I told you it would be all right. Do you remember the Bible tells us angels didn't necessarily get a glimpse into all that. They just get a glimpse. We get to know. So I, I think this could almost be realistic. I'm joking, okay? But just imagine the conversation. And then it gets to the resurrection. And the angels are there. It's Sunday morning. What's going to happen now? It's been a couple of days, God. You told us to trust you. What's happening now? Look, they're crying. They're going to the tomb. What's happening? Wow! Where is he? What have you done? And then they understand. Now, if that's not shocking enough, imagine the next question. So Jesus has conquered death. Jesus is clearly all-powerful. Jesus is saying Rome that they're not the powerful ones. Jesus is the Messiah. There's all these prophecies. He can do anything you want, God, through your son Jesus. You can break all the power now of oppression and justice. You've broken it spiritually. You can now break it physically. You, do you want us to go down and join Jesus? Do you want us to go down and help him now mop this lot up? And then he can come back and we can have everything all made new. Do you want us to do it? No. Well, what's happening next? What Jesus is going to do? When are we going to see him again? You'll see him later. He's coming up here soon. Special arrangement. What do you mean he's coming back? What happens down there? What happens to Rome? What happens to injustice? What happens to oppression? 
What happens to starvation? What happens to sin, selfishness, evil, judgment? What happens to bitterness? What happens to anger? What happens to orphans? What happens to families falling apart? What's going to happen with all? What do you mean Jesus is coming back? Jesus needs to sort that out. No. Jesus has done what he needed to do. I'm going to use them. I'm going to finish this through them. Unrighteousness, injustice, bitterness, anger, broken relationships, broken bodies, the hungry, the lame, the orphans. I'm going to finish this through them who take the name of Jesus. I'm going to do this by filling them with my power, with my spirit. I'm going to live amongst them. I'm going to form a new humanity, a new community. And this good news will be seen for what it is. People rescued and living in the image of God. Not just a king who comes from heaven, but a people in his name rescued from sin and evil themselves who get to be the ones who go and rescue the others. That's the purposes of God. That's what Luke wants us to understand. That Jesus says, here's what's going to happen next. You are going to talk about the good news. You are going to overcome injustice and oppression. You are going to love with sacrificial love. Where there's hate, you're going to forgive. Where there's brokenness, you're going to heal. Where there's relational breakdown, you're going to put arms around and talk about a mercy and a grace that can heal and rescue. And this is going to happen to all peoples in all places, with all languages and all backgrounds and all classes. And all those barriers are going to be overcome. That's who we are. That's Jesus' plan. And if the angels were shocked at the death and amazed at the resurrection, I think they were pretty shocked at that plan. I know I am. And just as the disciples in the first few verses had their minds opened to understand all of this was written about Jesus, I think we constantly need our minds opening to understand who we are, to understand what Jesus has formed the church for, to understand what this is. Oh yeah, this is a place where we get to know his presence and we get to benefit from his healing and his grace and his mercy. But as we've said before, it's not to be like a reservoir that we get to swim in and drink in. It's not to be like a pool that we get to bathe in. It's meant to be like a river that we get to swim in, but then takes us out there and takes us to where you're living and where you're working. Takes us to the broken people around you. You're there already. That's why Jesus left you there. But he says, I will fill you with power. Don't do this on your own. Don't do this without me. And the power of the Holy Spirit comes on them in Acts 2 and Paul writes the next part of his story as the disciples then learn to understand what this is. Luke, towards the end of this story, wants us to understand who Jesus is and that all of history is fulfilled in him. And he wants us to understand who we are. He wants us to understand that we get to carry this on. And yeah, you can think people don't want to listen and how secular and how broken our society is. Some don't, but many do. They just need a chance to hear. They just need a chance to understand. And while this, we want to keep making church, church central and any church, a place where people get to taste and experience and where there is healing and there is genuine community, it's got to happen out there even more. 
How are people going to know that there's a love? They're going to have to turn up here at quarter to ten on a Sunday morning. So enough for some of us to do that. Jesus has put you where you are. See, evangelism, because that's often the word we call this, isn't something we have to do. Oh, that's woken some of you up. Shocked. More heresy. Stories of angels in heaven debating about their death. And now evangelism is something we have to do. No, it isn't. It's something we are. Because Jesus is in us through his Holy Spirit. And the moment we love someone when they're broken, the moment we forgive someone instead of shouting back at them, the moment we let go of bitterness, the moment we do an act of kindness to someone who needs it and we're not going to get anything back, the moment we step out of our comfort zone and spend time with people not like us, the moment we knock on our neighbor's door because we haven't seen them for ages and we thought it's about time we really did get to know them properly and not just say morning on a Monday morning, the moment we step into someone else's house don't we get to spend time with people who speak a different language from us or a different culture from us or have a different education to us or go to different places to socialize than we would the moment we do that that's taking jesus to where the world is at its most broken and most needy you don't have to do evangelism you are it we are now the gospel that's what this is a community healed more whole where there's forgiveness, where there's grace, where there is acceptance. That's why you're here, I hope. Yeah, we're working on it. Yeah, it's not perfect. Yeah, we get hurt by each other. But then there's forgiveness and grace. And that's what the church is. Luke wants us to understand that the good news now happens through us. But it's to all places, with all peoples and all languages. That's why we're ascending church. That's why we believe sending people to the nations this good news even in the darkest what seems to us like the most challenging and darkest of places is good news that's why we send people to all places and you think well i can't do that we don't have to jesus hasn't asked some of you to a few more of you need to but he hasn't asked most of us you're right where you need to be you think well i haven't got that courage luke wants us to hear that this good news has to go to the darkest and the most broken and the most hurting of hearts and they're all around us and he's got you right where he wants you and the power of the Holy Spirit is yes to make you feel close to him and to know his love and to know that you're a son and a daughter but it's also to fill you with courage that you can say the simplest of things and someone full of pride and living in the I world and think they're fine may laugh at you but someone else who is starving and thirsty and broken and knows that the I world hasn't got it for them, will want to know more.